Welcome to Startup Confidential. What food and beverage industry players will never tell you that you need to know if you're running a startup. Let's do this. Welcome to Episode 1, Navigating the Death Funnel. So I gotta be really honest, folks. If the name of this first episode hasn't communicated this to you already, this is not a podcast series for inspiration. This is a podcast series about the brutal reality of running a food and beverage startup in today's market. And I want to be as practical and helpful as possible. A lot of entrepreneurs that I work with have no idea that 70 to 80% of early stage brands in food and beverage never even get to $500,000 in net sales. Whoa. Uh, If you step back from that number, it seems awfully small, doesn't it? And in reality, when you look at the trade press every day in the food industry, especially the portion of it that covers early stage companies, you'd swear that everyone is drowning in million dollar seed and series A raises. Unfortunately, the media's predilection for outlier anecdotes continues to confuse a lot of my clients. And I hope folks can look past what they're seeing in the media, because for the most part, those are statistical exceptions. There are also raises that are happening to companies whose founders usually have connections that you don't. The reality is that most of the folks who don't make it to $500,000 in net sales, aside from the folks who decide that $100,000 is all they ever wanted, those folks generally go out of business. In other words, their actions drive themselves out of business financially. I can't list all the many reasons why you could torpedo your own business in that first $500,000, and it would be a very depressing list to begin with. But the most unforgivable one is trying to grow too damn fast. And I believe that that desire to accelerate faster than you're ready for is being driven by the media headlines that people too easily can click and find. So let's step back from this temptation to grow too fast, which I believe is the number one mistake. And set some context. There's two basic ways you can grow a business in consumer packaged goods. And food and beverage is no different. You can use what's called a push strategy, which is honestly the mainstay of large publicly traded food and beverage companies. Push is expensive. It requires highly mainstream offerings that basically aren't that innovative at all. Think Skinny Pop. Really? A low-calorie sea salt popcorn with no additives? Is that really the pinnacle of innovation? It was very clever, and that's why it grew so fast. But it wasn't actually that complicated. And contrary to what the folks at at Hippies believe, even well-funded startups cannot really pull off the kind of push-launch strategy that folks at Frito-Lay do almost every single year with their line extensions. And the reason for that is that even if you have 10 to $20 million in investor capital, super unlikely you'll ever get that. But even if you do, you still don't have the resources that a large company like Frito-Lay has with its DSD trucking fleet, its massive analytical resources, and its decades of institutional experience in launching products super fast to a mass audience, riding that tsunami of trial, and then capturing a minority percentage of repeat customers into a modest-sized, stable-line business. It's a very high-risk move, and quite frankly, not only does it take money, but 80% of the time it doesn't work, and those product lines don't last. If you're a large company, you can afford to string those launches together 
and you still have a viable business. But this model is not available to you as an entrepreneur. That's what I tell clients. You can study the push model all you want, but it's simply not available to you for capital reasons and for reasons of sheer skill and expertise. So what's the other way? The other way is what they call the pull model. And the pull model is not about you pulling the product off your shelf like certain alternative mayonnaise companies we know about. It's about your consumers pulling it off the shelf. Hopefully, again and again and again and again. In the industry and in the marketing world, we call this organic growth. Now, in the natural organic industry, this is a nice little pun. Unfortunately, people don't chew on it and savor it enough because I continue to see folks going to market thinking they're Frito-Lay, adding distribution super fast before they even know what is going on with their business. But organic growth is really a technical phrase. And it has to do with the fact that your growth is not being created by adding stores. It's being created by more and more consumers trying your product and more and more consumers converting into repeat customers. And I can tell you, strategizing and managing a business driven by organic growth, driven by pull, is the smartest thing that anybody can do with a small business using their own precious money, which most of you are doing. On average, successful early-stage natural organic brands that I've studied and those I've worked with over the years take about three to five years to get to $500,000 in net sales if they're not simply ramping up distribution as fast as they can. More and more companies are starting to do this online or in what they used to call the non-measured channels in food service channels that service offices, coffee shops, airports, your airline tray, etc. And those food service channels often provide much, much steadier demand to the P&L of a young company with the trade-off of never being able to create explosive demand. You know, but exploding out of the gate, I think I've made my point, is how most people are, you can almost guarantee failure before you reach $500,000. So how does this pull model really pan out if you do it well? What are the principles? Well, First of all, you add your accounts very slowly and strategically based on where you think the shopper base is going to be highly predisposed to the innovation you're bringing to market. And that honestly could be a highly localized or regionalized assessment of the shopper base, even in a national chain. Target in Ohio is a different set of target shoppers than Target in Southern California. After you've added accounts strategically and slowly, not thousands at a time, you build a fan base as you're doing this so you can learn about your product. The reality is that a lot of founders think they understand everything about their product because they've often spent one to three years fussing over it. And quite frankly, they're sick and tired of fussing over it and want to make money. That's the temptation. But until you've had actual sustained interactions with hundreds and hundreds of consumers, including your fans, you have no clue what you're selling. You just have a hypothesis. Build your fan base and learn from them. Hold your store count after you get it up to a couple hundred for a year or more. Measure your growth. Feed the brand. Are you growing at the same stores for 12 to 24 months? If you're not, you seriously need to think about tweaking your product or your go-to-market playbook. Don't add any more stores until you figure that out. Then start adding the stores. Now, how long are you really going to grow at the same stores? Well, this is, unfortunately, a not a predictive science, at least not yet. 
even though there's no hard and fast rule, I can tell you that multiple years of velocity growth at same stores is very common for well-designed and positioned emerging premium brands. Now, it may not be explosive growth in turns. It's often steady. But the key is that as you're adding stores, you don't want the incline of your velocity growth slope to be declining or flattening out because that's a sign that your new stores are simply not adding efficiency to the business. So add stores when you're confident of velocity growth where you already are and confident that that growth is actually healthy or when it's tapering off. And you believe that there probably isn't anybody left to try your product where you originally went for sale. By the way, this is not only a smart system for navigating the death funnel, it's a smart system for any stage in the revenue growth curve of an early stage company. It's just that everything I just described is massively more critical to survival in the first $500,000 than it is for a 10 and $20 million early stage company, which has a certain amount of inertia with both consumers and the trade. You've been listening to Startup Confidential. If you'd like more in-depth content from James, please sign up for his free monthly white papers by emailing him directly at james at premiumgrowthsolutions.com.